appreciate the opportunity to be with you all this morning. And I appreciate every, every one of you that engaged so actively in the song service. It was a blessing to me and believe the Lord was honored. I'd like us to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. The final verse that we'll read, And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. You know, Paul perhaps was more qualified than anyone that has ever lived other than the Lord Jesus Christ to speak of suffering. Uh, he went through a lot of trials. He went through a lot of tribulation and persecution. And he's describing to the Corinthian church why he suffers. And if you study First and Second Corinthians, you'll observe that one of the primary themes of these two verses, uh, these two books, is suffering. Here's why I think. Here's why I think that was. The Corinthian church one of, would have been one of the wealthiest churches to which Paul wrote throughout the course of his ministry, uh, and they perhaps had less of an understanding of what suffering is than the rest of the churches to which Paul wrote. Simply because they were, so, they were so wealthy. They lived in such an affluent uh, city. And so Paul, he writes to them about suffering and he says, here's why I suffer. He says, I suffer for your sakes. He says, I suffer that I might deliver the gospel to you. When Paul talks about the consolation and salvation that he delivered to the Corinthian church, he's not saying that when he showed up to the Corinthians and he began preaching the gospel... He saved them from eternal hell. No, he's saying, I delivered you from ignorance. It's the same type of salvation that Paul refers to in Romans chapter 10 when he talks to the Roman church. And he says, hey, there's a group of Israelites that have yet to be saved from ignorance. They go about trying to establish their salvation in their own righteousness. And Paul says, I brought to you effectual salvation and consolation in the gospel by my suffering. Because Paul travels about the known world at that time, he is persecuted for the sake of the gospel. You know, he mentions a specific circumstance in the next two verses where he's persecuted in Asia. You know, he says, For we would not, brethren, had you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Paul says, I was so ferociously persecuted, I was in such a situation that me and the men with me despaired even of life. And it was because a man named Demetrius, 
a silversmith who worked for the idol-worshiping temples of that time, was concerned that the gospel that Paul delivered would detract from his business. He said if Paul actually comes and delivers this gospel to the people and they start believing it, it's going to detract from my business. So he went around, he spread rumors about Paul, and before Paul knew it, he and the men that were with him were confronted by the idol worshipers in Asia, and they despaired even of life. But Paul says, I've suffered for your sakes. Paul was a human just like any of us, you know, and he confesses to us that he did not enjoy suffering. You know, none of us do either. We're very interested in minimizing suffering and maximizing comfort. I thought about this morning, that, that this morning when I got up, um, and I try to wake up at a certain hour, and I thought to myself right when I got up, I wish it was not so hard to get up early, because I struggle with it more so than anything else in my life. It is difficult. It's suffering in a way. It's not a spiritual type of suffering, but it's hard and it's difficult, and you have to make a distinct choice to pursue that suffering and that difficulty in order to accomplish something meaningful. And that's also true in a spiritual sense. We make the decision to suffer because often when we follow Jesus Christ, we're confronted with suffering. You know, I started thinking about this when someone gave me a book entitled How to Confront Suffering. And I found that book just about a week ago at the bottom of a stack of papers that I had on top of my desk. And so I started flipping through it. And then began to reflect on what that means in a spiritual sense. Because we are often forced to confront suffering in our lives. We're forced to confront suffering in our lives. You know, especially with the passing of a dear brother in Georgia. Thinking about what it means to confront the premature death of someone that we love. There is no explanation for why that would occur, that can't be found in Scripture. The answer is clear. The reason events like that occur is because we live in a broken, twisted world that has deteriorated and is a consequence of human beings' decisions to break God's law. That's the reason things like that occur. We often ask ourselves, why are we forced to confront suffering? Why do we experience suffering when we pursue discipleship with Christ? It's because we live in a messed up world. That is a consequence of man's decision to break God's law. And Paul says, but we suffer for the sake of other people. This is exactly what Christ did. Christ suffered for the sake of other people. He came down from heaven. He took upon himself the form of a servant and he was made in the likeness of men, as Paul phrases it in Philippians chapter 2. And we're told that being found in fashion as a man, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Christ laid his life down and chose to suffer in human form for the sake of other people. Paul says, I do the same thing. And he says, you also do the same thing. Verse 3, God comforts us in all our tribulation. Remember what Paul entitles God as. Paul could have said anything that he wanted. He could have used any of the titles that he uses throughout the rest of his letter. But he opens the Corinthian letter by saying 
The Lord Jesus Christ is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That is, God is a merciful God and He is able to comfort us in our suffering. He comes down and He moves amongst us and He comforts us with the presence of His Holy Spirit when we struggle in the midst of suffering. That is why we get down on our knees and we beg for mercy when we are afflicted by tragedy. Because the Lord sends His Spirit down. He comforts us as the God of all mercy in our suffering. We need that this morning. There are people across the United States and the globe that need the comfort of God this morning because they are weeping in the midst of their tribulation and suffering. They are faced with the consequences of what it means to live in a broken, twisted world and they need the comfort of God. And praise God, He's the God of mercy and the God of all comfort. And He says He comforts us that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. He says we suffer for the sake of other people and when we do so, we are equipped to comfort others. That's exactly what we observe in the example of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has experienced suffering. Now again, he's a, He knows all. He sees all. He's the God of the universe. He created everything that we see. But we know as children of God that He walked upon this earth in flesh and He experienced what it means to suffer. He felt the same emotions in the same physiological sense that all of us do throughout our lives this morning. And so as He looks down from heaven upon our suffering, He understands what it's like to be in all of our shoes. Think about that. He knows what it's like as a human being to experience the loss of someone that He loved. Think about the case of Lazarus. There's someone in the life of Jesus Christ who falls ill. And what happens to Lazarus? Well, Lazarus, Jesus' friend, the man that Jesus Christ loved, dies. Jesus Christ was there to experience that in human form. Not just as God, not just as an abstract concept that we understand by faith, but as a human being. He felt sorrow in the same way that we do. He felt pain in the same way that we do. And Paul says in verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. He says Christ promises to comfort us in our affliction. Don't lose Paul's primary and simple point in the midst of some of these complex sentences. All Paul is saying is God is going to comfort you in your suffering. Hebrews chapter 4 explains this further. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 reads, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He said, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Paul says here, you have a representative in heaven. He says you have a high priest in heaven. 
Think about what a high priest was. A high priest was someone that went before God in the holiest of holies in the temple to atone for the sins of the people of Israel. So in that moment before God, he represented all their infirmities, all of their sins, all of their errors, and he would sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat to symbolically atone for the sins of the children of Israel. And he said, Jesus Christ does the same thing for you and I even to this day. He serves as our high priest in heaven. He goes before God as the one that has atoned for our sins and he represents us before God the Father. And he said, this high priest is not one that has just remained in heaven representing our interests. He says, he has been down among you. He's not untouched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was tempted just as we are, yet without sin. The anguish, the mind-numbing pain, the denial that we go through, we observe someone in our lives that has passed on. The emotional turmoil that we experience so greatly that it manifests this physical pain, this lump in our chest. Tears come up in our eyes. We we don't really even understand all that that means. Christ has experienced that. He understands what it's like. And He comforts us. He says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He says, Seek out the encouragement and the help and mercy of your high priest. Back to 1 Corinthians. You know, and Paul says in verse 6, whether we be afflicted is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual and enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. He says, I'm afflicted for your sake. Again, to reiterate that. Because... We suffer for the sake of someone else. We suffer for the sake of Christ. Christ suffered for our sakes. We also suffer for His. Christ, He comes down to earth. He takes upon Himself the form of a servant. He suffers for the sake of those that He loved. And Paul says, inversely, you are expected to suffer for the sake of Christ. Because because throughout the New Testament, you know, we're told not to be surprised when we're confronted by suffering when we pursue Jesus Christ in discipleship. We're told that again and again and again, even from the mouth of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was not surprised by His suffering. He understood why He was on earth. He understood why He was on earth, and it was that He was there to indeed suffer. And He says, just as Christ suffered for you, you're often going to be confronted by suffering when you serve Him And don't let that negate your desire to continue to serve Christ. Don't let that negate your desire to continue to serve Christ. You know, I think about the story of, of Cain and Abel that we read early in the book of Genesis. And this relates to something that we discussed when I was with you all last two weeks ago. And I don't expect any of you all to remember Because I wouldn't remember if I didn't have an Excel spreadsheet conveniently labeled most of the time. Excel is beautiful, by the way. 
We talked about Solomon's analogy of sowing the field in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Solomon says, I want you to take the seed that you have and I want you to sow it in the freshly plowed earth and not worry about the things that you can't control. And because remember, harvesting at that time, sowing seed, it was a very delicate process. And there were so many variables that you had to worry about. They didn't have advanced fertilizers at that time, you know, to put with that seed. They didn't have great seeds either. You know, they stored them in, in bags in the backs of their houses. And Paul, you know, Solomon tells us, he says, I want you to sow your seed regardless of the rain, the wind, the less than ideal weather, because he understood that if we hesitate to sow seed because of the circumstances that we're surrounded with, what happens is that we never sow seed to begin with. We never sow seed to begin with. And this is why it's important to confront suffering and understand that Christ comforts us in our suffering. Because if we worry about suffering in our pursuit of discipleship and we seek to minimize the pain that we experience and maximize comfort, we end up never sowing any seed. And again, that's a spiritual analogy. It's a spiritual analogy. Because we take what we have now. We sow it in the lives and hearts and minds of those around us, and we don't always immediately see growth. That is a pattern that's observable again and again in the kingdom of God. And so Paul's saying to the Corinthian church, Corinthian church, if you're so worried about minimizing suffering, if I, Paul says, if I was worried about minimizing suffering, I wouldn't be traveling around to you, delivering to you the gospel that is your consolation as I have in this past time. You know, I'm thankful that as we read the story of someone like Cain and Abel, you know, we, we realize that when we obey Christ in faith, that's exactly what Abel did. Abel obeyed Christ and offered up a sacrifice in faith. He casted out his bread upon the waters that he might find it again after many days. There are those that would rise up against us and seek to oppose that type of sacrifice. Jesus Christ recognized that. Paul recognized that. They both experienced it. The New Testament church realized it. And they experienced it. And even so, they pressed forward and confronted suffering in order to fulfill the purpose of Christ. And so Paul says, do that Regardless of the circumstances that you encounter and God comforts you. It's very, very simple. It's very, very straightforward. It's elemental. It's fundamental. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. Press forward in the midst of suffering and God comforts you. Why does He comfort us again? Because He has been there. He has experienced our suffering. He has experienced the things that we go through. He's not untouched. By what? Our infirmities. He's not sitting up in heaven looking down at the things that we suffer unmoved, unfazed, uncaring, unworried. He too has felt the pain of hunger. He has felt the pain of thirst. He understands and has experienced what it's like to observe the death of someone that he loved. He was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. 
pray that we may go before the throne of, of mercy, that we might obtain grace to help in time of need. Thank you for your attention.